Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Okay, so <laughs> I am really looking forward to this conversation. So if it's anything like it was off air, then uh, either I'm in trouble or you, the audience, are in trouble. <laughs> Uh, as you can hear from the, the laughter. So we're going to be speaking with a lot of you know the Modern Principle podcast. You can go to themodernprinciple.com. Karen and Christy, we've got Christy Lamb and Karen Heil uh, joining us today. And I have a feeling we're going to be going in a lot of different directions. I do want to thank, uh, before we get started, I want to thank Just Right Reader for helping to bring this conversation uh, to the forefront. You can go to justrightreader.com. They have sent over 1.75 million books to students focused in decodables. So go check out my friends at Just Right reader.com. All right. So Karen and Christy, it's it's one of these sort of catch up so many conversations going on in education. And you know what's interesting to me is that so many historically would be sort of behind the scenes, right? So, you know, it's sort of we have your local schools, you've got your superintendent, your district, you go to conferences and everything's sort of on the down low. It's just sort of, you know, copacetic. It's not today's educational landscape at all okay. conversations that maybe we would have had sort of off record or off of a podcast or interview are now very very public and bringing in lots of different people so with that as a backdrop uh karen can you kind of share let's start with you and just sort of how the landscape has changed because i wonder about how do we support those that are currently principals those that desire to be in the principalship and how we might want to think about either supporting and or thinking about professional development so that we are equipping them with the kinds of skills that they need in a world that is much more public than it ever was before. Yeah. Well, thank you for having us. We are so excited. Um, you were saying earlier that you've interviewed celebrities and now you have us. So we feel <laughs> <laughs> we'll go to both of I'm, our heads. I'm right? all about raising the bar with every. <laughs> yes. We, uh, don't, our egos are inflating as we speak. Yes. Um, it's been interesting, like the pandemic has shifted education. Um, and I think it's in a way that people aren't really willing to have the real conversation that needs to happen around it, which is the way it was working before wasn't really working for everyone. And now that's been highlighted um, with the pandemic in general. It just put a lot of stress and strain. And I think when we first shut down school, employees were kind of hailed as heroes. And then that next year when it didn't go back to normal quick enough, or um, the stress of life was still on everybody, it kind of, we got a spotlight and then everything came. And everybody had, everybody had an opinion, didn't they? Yes. <laughs> One of the things about education, everyone has been to school. So everyone thinks you know how to do school. But, but that's kind of the irony. Christy, is that we went from a, a place of, gosh, sort of in general, the American parent is a bit apathetic in understanding what goes on in a school building for 180 days with their child. Right. <laughs> went to the other end of the spectrum, which was, now, wait a minute. Now we have all of a sudden these very discerning individuals that somehow now have caught up in what we're trying to do in 21st education. And I wonder about sort of the support from the communication side, because it seems like that's where the initial breakdowns were. And I don't think the fault should be at the foot, sort of the foot of the principal, but I'm just wondering about the support system from the district side of it for principals. You know, I feel like, and so I'll take the 
take the heat on this, that principals were sometimes put in a, a no-win situation. And if you didn't have good district leadership and or sort of communication plans that were really thorough and thoughtful, then that left the principal to sort of fend for themselves. Is, is that fair or foul, Christy? Oh, I think it's completely fair. And I think that we saw it all over our area and I'm sure all over the country. Um, being in a district where you had a really strong communication plan and things were communicated to the building level principals before they were communicated to the public was incredibly important. Um, and making sure that everyone was saying the same thing and knowing that, hey, if someone is mad at me as the building principal and they go to my supervisor, my supervisor saying the exact same thing. Um, whereas we had districts around us who... Um, they would make a decision and then roll that out to the public. And once the public was mad, then the decision was reversed. And so I think it's really important that as a district, if you're trying to support your principals, saying what you mean and then meaning it and sticking to it, because um, that's a way to keep the unity within your school district. Principals Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to, I was going to sort of follow up on that and just to understand, because then sort of the offshoot of that is all of a sudden you're a principal in a building, regardless of the size of that building. And now you have your teachers, your support staff yes. looking to you for leadership. And yet you're sitting there probably saying, I don't even have the information to share with my staff. And my concern then is, and I've seen this, I've seen this locally, is you have a pretty quick breakdown in, in building culture. And I don't know if parents fully appreciate the impact of that. Now, most parents can go to their corporate jobs or their small businesses and know that if people aren't getting along, that could impact the bottom line. Schools are not immune to that. So can you sort of talk about that element? Because it almost feels like principals had to think, all right, can I effectively communicate to parents? Can I effectively communicate to my staff? Just really challenging from that perspective, let alone managing the building itself and what you have to do on the day to day. I think I had a really hard lesson with that in the beginning of the pandemic, where I was kind of letting a lot of the information come from our central office um, to the staff and had a real honest conversation. I had a staff member who fortunately felt confident enough in our relationship to approach me and say, Christy, you need to be sharing like what's going on. We don't know what's going on. And I'm like, I know as much as you do. <laughs> and but it was a really important moment for me. Um, and Karen and I kind of talked about this is that saying nothing says a lot. And so I kind of had to reconvene as a principal and say, hey, even if I'm telling my staff that I don't have any additional information, that's still important to tell them um, and being encouraging and just sharing that I'm there and for honest. them and honest um, because that they they were feeling um, uncomfortable and they were probably not feeling very strong in my own leadership because I wasn't saying too much more than the central office was. So that was a really good principal lesson and leadership lesson for me. Yeah. And I'll add on, I think people um, that come into education underestimate the power of culture. And as a principal, that is the most important thing that you influence. Um, and you have so much influence over the culture of your workplace. And the number of stakeholders a principal has compared to anybody else in a school district. Um, we have certified staff, classified right. staff, parents, central office, news outlets. And I just don't know that there's anybody else in the school district that has as many people they're answering to. Right. Karen, Karen, what do you think? We're so big in data, right? In, in yeah. education. I mean, it's... Yeah. Just we're so big in data, but I'm, but I am, I'm wondering how we're going. I hope that we can avoid the mistake that we typically make in, in education, which is, well, we'll just figure it out next time. We just sort of keep repeating the same thing over and over again. When it comes to leadership 
and the impact that Christie's talking about. I'm wondering how we're going to quantify the impact of principals who are leaving or principals who don't feel supported and they don't feel connected. And all of a sudden that old, you know, one room schoolhouse doesn't just apply to the teacher. It applies to the main office. Right. Um, how do you think we should look at sort of the long-term impact so that we can provide support, not just so we can kind of sit down with a glass of wine and say, well, boy, that was bad. Right. Yeah. But, but so we can sit down and say, look, here's what we're seeing, you know, here's the attrition rate and, and, or we're not seeing the talent pipeline for future principals like oh. <laughs> we did before. And so how do we understand that data? And I'm afraid we're just going to continue to sort of patch the holes in the dam thinking that, all right, let's just get to by this, this week, this term, this semester on the next. Yes. I think that you are right on with thinking that we are just hoping that we're getting to the end of it. Um, <laughs> We have been doing a lot of reading lately about like the job demand resource model and just thinking about how many demands come on a principal and how many resources do they then have to counterbalance those demands. And unfortunately, we're losing resources uh, more and we're getting more demands. And so um, there is a lot of research around that. There is data around the attrition rate of principals and what it was before the pandemic wasn't great and it's gotten worse and that's even worse. And so there is a lot of, I know that states, I know that nationally and locally people are looking at both teacher retention. I haven't seen a lot on principal retention. Not really. And teacher retention is so important, but I think what people forget is that the principal is the number two, um, influence on student achievement in a school, right? And so, the number, almost and the number one on teacher retention. And almost the number one on teacher retention. And so we have a really, really important role that's completely underdeveloped um, and under-researched in terms of how do we support them and how do we keep them. Yeah. And, and look, I think it's very similar to a student that either does really well in a classroom because that teacher that year is incredibly engaging versus right. a teacher maybe that isn't as engaging, right? And you kind of say, gosh, what happened to little Johnny or Susie? And you say, well, wait a minute. They, right. Same kind of thing. I, if I'm a teacher in a building with uh, a principal that just does not seem engaged or feel connected or, you know, sort of well-resourced in what they need to be able to do to do a good job, I mean, I like that building. And schools right. are just like businesses in that way. They really are. You walk in, you can tell the culture based on that principle. I think the minute you- 100%. Yep. Moving into kind of a consultant role and getting to go into a lot of different buildings, you can tell um, what the principle's like very quickly, even before you meet them. Be be, Be honest, Christy, do you walk into some of these and say, I'm really glad I get to exit this at the end of the day? You cannot comment. No comment. Neither confirm nor deny. This is when it becomes a glass of wine conversation. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what what is the silver lining? Uh, I'm hoping there's a silver lining. You know, I guess the challenge I have is that education is becoming incredibly political. And there are a lot of really, really important elections that have been going on or that have happened or that will be going on where the school boards are becoming much more influential and political. And I'm just nervous that local leadership at the school level, let alone the superintendent, are not properly prepared to understand the gravity of what we're talking about. This is not just sort of reorganizing a bus schedule or a field trip. I mean, these are some really, really important conversations that are going on. 
Um, I mean, our local election, I mean, when I went to it, people were screaming outside. I mean, it was just, and you think, this is for the school board. This is a totally different world. Karen, where, where, where are we with sort of the silver lining in a world that has become incredibly political in which we, I think maybe we were ignorant sort of as a, as a industry and as a society to think that education would never become political. Uh, maybe right. sort of shame on us to think that we were protected. Um, but what is the silver lining? I mean, can we now maybe, I don't know, elicit talent that is better prepared, you know, different talent that will help to support students in a world where they want to be entrepreneurs. They want to think independently. You know, I just don't know if it, if, if this is a good shakeup, maybe. Well, I'll go, I'll nerd out for a quick minute. And my husband always talks about in history, there's a rubber band model. And when you go too far in one direction, it snaps back. And education hasn't been immune to, to politics. Um, the civil rights movement. We've had some key moments, haven't we? We've had some key moments. And what it did to schools and communities and the teaching force then um, greatly fractured um, the education you know, movement at that point, too. And so I think that I, I'm people that work with me would not say I'm an optimist, but I'm going to be optimistic right now. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, the work we do is so valuable and centered on the right things that at some point... If we can control the message and get back to our communications and start resharing our story and figure out how to quiet the news and get the right information in people's hands about the actual work we're doing, I think that's a good step in the right direction. I do think there needs to be a lot of reform on how we're preparing teachers and principals. Absolutely. I don't think we have the the old model hasn't isn't working. Um, there needs to be a lot more apprentice apprenticeship times for both teaching and principals. We need to look at pay um, and other benefits that people can get um, for the work that they're being asked to do. But I and what do about this concept? Sorry, Karen. What about no. this concept as well? It, it, teaching is one of the only, or just education in general. It's one of the only professions in industry where we still ask people to work for 30 years. Like, yeah. Do you ever, th you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, why can't we have a system that has on-roads and off-roads, off-ramps of maybe I want to teach for five years, then I'm going to go into industry and I'm going to come back. And that's going to be a benefit and a value to the school, the district, the community, and the students, because the students are going to say, wow, I got to hang out with, you know, this teacher who started a company. Like, I don't know why we have to do that because I don't think my kids, I don't know about your kids, but they're probably not going to look at education as an, as a viable option. Right. Not. Right. Because all their all their friends and their parents have they're starting different companies all over the, you know, this whole like, let's not let's not fear failure. OK, but let's why don't we practice what we preach? Not to bring. Uh, well, you're you know. Right. We look at when people leave the industry and come back. We look at that as a red flag right now when we're hiring. Like, oh, you've been out of the game for seven years. You're not going to be able to keep up. Well, no, they're going to bring haven't other seen lesson plan in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like you're going to bring more valuable skills that our kids need. Yeah. So I think you're right. We have to reframe it. And more, maybe more too on and off uh, ramps within the industry as well. Yeah. Um, exactly. To go maybe say, hey, I am going to do an instructional coaching position, then back to the classroom or a principalship and then back to the classroom. Um, but without losing the pay that you might have gained through some of those promotions. Yeah, I know that that you and sadly you have to actually add that in <laughs> to what you're saying so that people can go, oh, okay. You go back down the salary scale. Uh, I I want to I want to pivot a bit and talk about um, strong women. 
Uh, I'm a big proponent. We of don't know any, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, do you know? <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, but I think it's important. I think it's important that we celebrate strong women like yourselves. I think it's important in education. I think we've taken for granted and just sort of people in general go, oh, that's so nice you work in education. You know, they don't have a, an appreciation for the skill set, um, the effort that goes into it. Um, talk a little bit about what it means to be a strong woman in education when we are really dealing with some gale forced winds, um, I think, in the industry. Uh, Christy, I'll start with you. It's funny you ask this because I think this is kind of part of our origin story in terms of why we decided to, to start the Modern Principal. And it's because I became a principal a few years after Karen. And um, I had a situation, it was a staffing situation, and I wasn't quite sure how to address it. And so I called the only other principal that I really knew or had a relationship with um, to get some advice. And it was a male principal, and he gave me some advice and told me what to say to this staff member. And I said, I can absolutely not say this to a, to a teacher when I am a 30-year-old woman. Like, it, this will not go over well. I will not be able to have the influence I want. And I ended up kind of having dinner with Karen and just saying, I... Like we need more of a community for young women principals because the way that we act, the decisions we make, the things that we say are scrutinized in a different way um, and have different impacts on a man. Karen, I'll, I'll hand the hot potato to you. <laughs> um, I think we, we are both getting our um, doctoral work right now. And there are, what is the stat you found, Christy, that 80, 75% of teachers are women, but only like 40% of principals are. Yeah. Um, and even less of that are superintendents. So oh, probably yeah, it's anemic. It's unbelievable. Yeah. There are four in our remote area within really? a 50 mile driving radius, only four, which is not a lot for I mean, Missouri has 500 school districts. Yeah. <laughs> So we could do better. <laughs> when we when we have looked into this before, and we've done several pods on this because we just, you know, we have our experiences, but we also want to like read a little bit more and, and use facts to share our knowledge. <laughs> um, you know, we have found that women wait longer, um, like five to ten years longer than men to begin thinking about getting promotions, and we just thought we've reflected That's an incredible on incredible stat. Like, what in the world, right? I mean, that makes anybody pause. I don't care what your gender is. Five to 10 years. As principals. Yeah. Think about like that over a lifetime life. and the Im yeah. potential impact, the financial impact, the family planning, which we haven't mentioned yet. Right. Yep. <laughs> well, and that's a, that's a huge piece. I think sometimes. Well, because can you cuss on your pod? You're damned if you, you can, do. Damned you if you, you can say whatever. Oh. You want. <laughs> is that even a cuss word? Or... No, you you but... must be in education. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but so for example, especially working in an elementary school as a principal, if you don't have kids, oh my gosh, you must not like kids. How can you be an elementary principal? Or you don't understand. You don't yet. even understand yet because yeah. you don't have your own kids. But then if you do, obviously kids come with <laughs> um, interruptions. And then you're also criticized on that end for maybe not being able to attend everything or having scheduling conflicts, those types of things. So it's a it's a real paradox. <laughs> do you think that the, do you think that implies then we should really be thinking about but like, it's almost like before we can help to support to get more female females into the principalship it's we've got to understand the superintendency because if we have a superintendency that is much more sort of mindful in our leadership and the way that's constructed that that yeah. at least sets the condition 
for females in that district to say, you know what, why should I wait? Mm-hmm. Right. We get so many direct messages um, in our Instagram inbox about women, like literally women are asking us about family planning and if they should wait to have their second baby before they get a principalship or should they try to plan their baby after getting a principalship? And we're like, but we can't tell you that. <laughs> but it's, not, there's a but, it's, but it's pretty wild though to think, you know, that we have people who are really, really thinking about it and willing to ask basic strangers. Well, and not to devalue because we know how, like we both have very actively and supportive partners yeah. that take the lead on family planning and supporting and all of that too. So we know it's not necessarily a gender thing, but there is the physical you have to leave your job for a certain amount of time to have a baby. Sure. Yeah. It, it's very, it, it's very disheartening because you would think that we've gotten to a place where we would be beyond that, especially in an industry where people assume that there are more females, right? I mean, I think the general public would say, Oh, there are more females in education than there than, are. Right. right. Yeah. And that's the, that's the key point. Like in what role uh, and basically who holds the power. Right. Right. Um, all right. So let's talk about, the two of you in the media, the media darlings, as they say. Oh, uh, is that what they say about us? As I say that, that sounds bad. I don't, but you know, you've heard that term, right? That's always on, you hear yeah. that all the time. We don't find it offensive at all. <laughs> okay. I just, everyone's like, that guy is so contradictory. Um, <laughs> we, we are too. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about branding and voice, because I think it's, it's really interesting. I have known people in education in the media for over a decade, and it used to be a really small party, you know, sort of a little, sort of a, a banquet table with, you know, chicken served and <laughs> and IT for, for about 10 people. And that's grown immensely. Uh, tell me about how that has impacted sort of your appreciation for the education community, how it has impacted you personally. Um, and I would imagine as, as friends in that manner, cause there's so much more to it. I mean, we can get to the effort that it takes after hours to be able to conduct podcasts and do all these other things, but just talk about the difference that it's made in sort of providing context to your professional and personal lives. That's a really good question. And I think for us, obviously it's deepened our friendship, um, because we started also a business together around it. Um, but I think too, just knowing all of these different women all over the country and being able to connect with them and sharing the things that are the same and things that are different and getting a larger picture of the landscape of what education looks like across our country um, has made me personally a more reflective practitioner um, and probably more responsive one too. I think we both have made it a point. Um, Twitter isn't really our jam. We oh, we had some Twitter like in education, Twitter was I like a, that. not not your jam. I said that to somebody there. They looked at me like, it, oh, man, that's not cool. But you say it sounds so much better. <laughs> thank you. But it was really big for a while. And huge I tried education. to get on board at you Twitter. And it still is really yeah. good. It's just hard to for me to be authentic in 140 characters. And I felt like everyone else was doing the job better than me. Because they were all so so positive. Like their yes. buildings were perfect. Their teachers were perfect. They were perfect. And we were like, like, just like Facebook with families and you go, wow, yes. there is not yes. one issue down at the Smith house. So they are. Right. <laughs> Except the Smiths got divorced two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that we, we really love Instagram and um, we're not cool enough to understand Snapchat or anything like that, but 
we're getting into TikTok. But what I will say about Instagram, what it's done is we made it a purpose and intent when we started to follow other people in education in our role that weren't that were like us, but also that had different experiences, maybe didn't have their voices amplified either, so that we could learn about the experiences of other people who are in education that are doing their best. And it really has widened our perspective of what inclusion has to look like, what equity has to look like, what being a principal um, when you're a, uh, like, we will never understand what it's like to be of a different race when we're a principal, but it's really important for us to listen to those stories um, and hear about them as well. So that's been a great part of social media. Um, Do you think there's a bit of professional development as well? I mean, if if I sort of was (laughs) I don't know, a, a blank canvas and sort of building a school community. It seems to be very beneficial for the leaders at building and district level to understand social media and sort of having to be public in a way that you can be transparent and professional at the same time. You can be informative. You can be compassionate. Yeah, there's a, um, I can't remember his name, the Joe guy that's a superintendent. He does a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of was his authentic self. And he's one of the first people on Twitter that I saw like his personality come through. And you were like, that's really. That Joe Sanfilippo? That's him. <laughs> and I was like, what? he spoke at a conference. Yeah, you I call him Joe the soup. <laughs> yes. But I was like, that's really cool how he's a superintendent and he's so down to earth and approachable. And one of the things that we, wanted to highlight and Chris you can talk about this more is like I think people have this vision of what a woman leader has to be and it's buttoned up and it's stuffy and like strong meaning pardon my French bitchy so we wanted to show that like women can also can be strong while being soft we can have we can love pop culture and also be really good at education like yeah we can be ourselves and still really be dedicated to our jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important that authenticity, I mean, students connect to that, right? I mean, and as a parent, I connect to the teachers that seem to be real. Right, yeah. (laughs) Right, or the principals that seem to be real. Uh, All right, so let's look forward. So you've got a great following. You you have a really good rapport sort of in connection in the way in which you communicate. People gravitate. They ask you about everything from, you know, giving birth. And it sounds like, right, you're getting... (laughs) You're getting really, that should be a book, right? Not to give you a book. We get really close to our followers. You get really close to your followers. Uh, I don't get that close to my followers, but (laughs) uh, so what do you project into the future, right? So you've got a platform, you have a collective voice. I think that can provide influence and information and can, and make people either feel better in the positions that they hold in education and or inspire the next generation or the current one to even sort of move up the, the proverbial ladder and go from maybe classroom teacher to build level or or district leader. So talk about what's what's next. What do you guys dream about when you think about the platform? You go. I talked a lot. I think I think the biggest thing, um, and this isn't the most detailed thing, is to continue to build our community. And um, I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, praises that we can get is when we have a teacher or, you know, especially like that 25, 26 year old female teacher. And she writes to us and she goes, I started my admin program. I never thought I could do it. And then I saw you guys doing it. And I now I know I can also lead a school. And so we want to continue to hopefully inspire other people into the role. 
Um, logistically, what does that look like? We're going to continue doing our podcast. We have um, what we hope to be a subscription service coming out soon where we'll have resources for principals and then an associated um, like kind of membership and mastermind that goes along where we can help each other problem solve in a real way um, where you don't have to be worried that it's like the person that you're problem solving with is also going to go tell your boss because they're also in your district. <laughs> Yeah, hold on. I've got a call in line too. I'll be right back. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, so overall building the community and hopefully um, giving back through our resources um, to principals so they can focus on the things that matter most. And like, we know it takes so much time to, you know, to respond to comments and DMs and stuff when we should probably be working on our blogs and our subscription, but it does mean a lot when someone says like, Hey, I had a really bad day and this post brought me out of it. Like it's nice <laughs> for the humanity. If we can do nothing but make someone get up tomorrow, put a smile on their face and do that job well, then that feels good. Yeah. Well, it's been uh, an incredible treat to spend some time with you. I want to encourage people to check out the modernprinciple.com. And if you haven't checked out their podcast, well then shame on you as an audience. <laughs> Uh, they're they're terribly engaging, and I think you'll learn a lot. And they do bring authenticity to the role, but just education at large, and really develop a community. So big fans of Karen Heil and Christy Lamb, themodernprinciple.com, and they're on Instagram. You can check them out as well. I want to thank the folks at Just Right Reader to help bring that help bring this conversation to light. You can go to justrightreader.com. They've sent over 1.75 million books uh, to students across the country. Uh, learn about Dakota Wolves. Go to justrightreader.com. I'm your host. Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.